good morning. Welcome to Temple Baptist Church. Take your song handouts, page 240. The Lily of the Valley, 240. The Lily of the Valley. I have found a friend in Jesus. He's everything to me. He's the fairest of the thousand to my soul. The Lily of the Valley, with Him alone I see. All I need to cleanse and make me fully whole. In sorrow, He's my comfort. In trouble, He's my stay. service this morning. Welcome all of you live stream listeners as well. The Lily of the Valley. This song comes from the Song of Solomon. Very mysterious book, very poetic verse. If you've ever read it, I know I have a hard time following. Who's talking here? The bride or the bridegroom? And I've heard a lot of controversy about, uh, you know, some people say this is talking about the bride, this is talking about the bridegroom. But I'll tell you one thing that I do know about this song, and that's the very first thing that we sung. I have found a friend in Jesus. He's everything to me. Isn't that a wonderful truth? Let's continue on the second verse of the Lily of the Valley. Thanks be the 
crowd here this morning. It's good to see each and every one of you, especially after last weekend having to cancel church because of uh, the weather and so forth. So I'm glad that we're able to be at church here today and uh, got some of our folks that are back in the congregation because of overcoming sickness and we're so glad that you're doing better. Uh, Still have a few people that are out because of COVID and uh, continue to pray for them that uh, they'll get better. I um, I, I like what Brother James told me this morning. I don't mean to embarrass your brother, but I said, I was asked him how it was. He said, well, he said, it wasn't as bad as some people, but he said, I had all I wanted of it. And so, But uh, we're certainly glad that him and Sister Evelyn are doing better, and uh, hopefully hopefully we, um, we won't have more people that, uh, that catch it. So by way of announcements, first of all, tonight we're going to have our evening service at 6 o'clock. We'll have a kids' lesson, but speaking of kids, we're not having kids' choir this evening. Uh, My wife is uh, still not feeling well, and so uh, we're going to give that another week. Hopefully, maybe in the next week or two, the the latest outbreak of COVID will start to settle down. But anyhow, it might end up being a mixed blessing and and be best for everyone. But uh, then Wednesday at 7, Bible study, and then also Master Club and Youth Group will... Uh, reconvene on Wednesday evening, and then Saturday, everything will be a regular schedule, weather permitting, street ministry at noon, and then ladies' prayer meeting at 7, men's prayer meeting at 8 o'clock. I know we uh, sent out a, a prayer chain and a group text regarding Sister Alpha Buchanan's sister-in-law, Gail Tomlin. Uh, she passed away from COVID last week, and so the funeral will be tomorrow And uh, that will be from visitation from 11 to 12.45, and the funeral will be at 1 o'clock. This will be at Solid Rock Baptist Church in Granite Falls. That's about a 40-minute drive from here, and uh, uh, if you could be there, I'm sure that it would be greatly appreciated. Uh, Miss Alpha was um, very close friends with her sister-in-law, and I'm sure that you can appreciate after Brother Robert passing away because of COVID, and then her sister-in-law. It's been pretty tough on her, as well as Brother Jonathan, and so let's be sure and remember them in our prayers. I think I got all um, all of our announcements taken care of. I did want to remind you, before we sing another hymn, that we do not pass the offering plate, but we do have the box back there in the foyer by the water fountain, and so you can put your tithes and missions giving and offering in that, or you can give online. I know many of you are taking advantage of our online giving. And if you're not signed up for the Realm application, then be sure and let us know. Christina is not able to be here today, but uh, be sure and let us know, and we'll get you signed up on that. That also helps you get uh, the prayer requests. She puts those out uh, a little bit early, so you're able to get those on Thursday or Friday instead of waiting until Sunday. All right, let's go ahead and stand and let's sing our last hymn on the back of your handout, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. All right, just one moment here, just one moment. Brother Harding's going to talk to us for just a moment. 
Somebody had a birthday recently named Pastor Mitchell, and we were going to give him this last week, but he wasn't here, so I'll have to give it to him today. So uh, you can go chase the white ball around somewhere in the golf course. Uh, we sure do love you, appreciate you, and happy birthday. All right, we'll take and sing our last hymn there, page 147, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms.
something to say, and I can't remember what it was. That happens. Oh, thank you. Um, thank you for the birthday card and whatever's in that. I haven't had a chance to look at it yet, but Brother Ralph said something about golf, so I'm, I'm very thankful for it. <laughs> and uh, I haven't golfed much, uh, really hardly at all, this past two or three, almost four months, so I guess I guess I have to go, right? Amen. Hopefully it'll warm up. You know, I've had times, my son and I, we never let weather get in the way of our golf habit, and uh, we've had times where we've been out there on the golf course colder than it was yesterday, literally, and our hands would be so frozen that we couldn't even feel the club in our hands, and we, we played horrible. And I guess we'd have the whole golf course to ourselves, and we'd really be laughing at ourselves because... When you can't feel your hands, you're not gonna your your golf game's gonna be worse than it normally is, and so uh, we would hit a lousy shot and we would just laugh like we were a bunch of idiots out here in the freezing cold playing golf. But anyhow, we had fun and we certainly made some memories. If you would take your Bibles, go to Hebrews chapter number thirteen this morning. Hebrews chapter number thirteen. Before we read our text and I announce the topic. I want to give a preface, and that is this. There is no way that I could do the subject this morning. Uh, I could not be adequate in today's topic. I I, I spent a lot of time thinking. There are so many things that should be said that um, I wouldn't know what to say. There are so many things that should be said that we wouldn't have time to say. And so uh, I believe that the Holy Spirit has led me to just draw a couple of three truths out of today's topic, and I hope that uh, these are the things that will be a help to someone uh, 
here this morning. In Hebrews chapter 13 and beginning in verse number 5, the Word of God says, Let your conversation be without covetousness. Of course, covetousness is wanting something that you don't have or wanting something that you can't uh, rightfully or morally get. And be content with such things as ye have. You know, if you're not content with what you have and you think that your contentment is going to be found in gaining more, then you're going to find that it's just like that carrot out in front. You're never, you're never going to reach that. And so contentment is not found in gaining more or getting what you want. Contentment is a state of mind. When you figure out that, hey, this is what I have, and if I never got anything more, I'm going to learn how to be content, and that is the secret to a happy life. Uh, They say that the American dream is the secret to a happy life. The American dream is all about getting more and getting more, but you look around and many, many people are living the American dream today, but do you see people that look happy when you go to the grocery store? When you're out in public, in a public event, do people really look happy? Oh, some of them look happy by the aid of the drug called alcohol, and it is a drug, but they have to have it in order to feel any sense of happiness or contentment. And you and I both know that that's a very temporary feeling. It's induced by something that ultimately causes more harm than it could ever cause good. And so God's Word says that We should be without covetousness. We should be content with the things that we have. And there's a reason for that. And that's the last part of verse number 5, where the Lord is speaking here. He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Is your contentment in the Lord today? Is God enough? When God's not enough to make us happy, what are we really saying about our faith and trust in God? What are we saying about how we value the creator of this universe when we cannot be happy with just having him? And then verse number six says, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. The message this morning comes from verse number six and the message is simply this. The Lord is my helper. Let's go to him in prayer and ask that he would help us in the sermon and in our hearts today. Father, it is good to be in church. It's good to be saved. It's good to sing about heaven. It's good to sing about your grace and your precious blood. Lord, it's good to be able to open up the scripture And know that the things that we're reading and the things that we're saying here today are not the opinions of men, but the very words of a living God. Thank you, Lord, for your authority and thank you for giving us the Bible. And I pray, Father, that we would be mindful of your truth today and that you would speak to our hearts. And Lord, give us the help that we need. In Jesus' name, amen. We all know that in life there are people who can help us, but refuse to help us. We also know from experience that there are times when we need help, but we refuse to receive the help 
that has been provided. I'm sure that many or most of you have heard of the story about Robinson Crusoe. It's the story. It was originally a book by William Defoe. Uh, it, you know, many of you have probably seen the old black and white movie. But it's a story of a slave, slave trader who shipwrecks and is stranded on an island off the coast of Venezuela. And throughout this process uh, of all of the things that were salvaged from the ship, about the only reading material that was salvaged was a Bible. Now, Robinson Crusoe in this story was not a very religious man, but because he had nothing else to read but that Bible, he soon became a very religious man, a man of faith. In the text of this story, he writes the passage in his journal. He says this, One morning, being very sad, I opened the Bible upon these words, I will never, never leave thee nor forsake thee. Immediately it occurred that these words were written to me. Why else should they be directed in such a manner? Just at the moment when I was mourning over my condition as one forsaken of God and man. Well then, said I, if God does not forsake me, what matters it though the world should all forsake me? From this moment, I began to conclude in my mind that it was possible for me to be more happy in this forsaken, solitary condition than it was probable that I should ever have been in any other state in the world. And with this thought, I was going to give thanks to God for bringing me to this place. That's an amazing statement. And I understand that this is a fictional account but they do say that there was uh, an actual shipwreck person that Defoe uh, based this story upon an actual human character. And the name of that man, uh, it, it slips my mind at this moment. But if you were shipwrecked in a hostile environment without typical necessities, you would certainly want help. Crusoe found help, but it wasn't a handout. And that's the kind of help that we need today. Not a handout, but in this story, Crusoe found something that helped him in a true manner. It helped his heart. It helped his attitude, if you want to say. It helped him to find purpose in his life that wasn't dependent upon any outside circumstance that was beyond his control. He was greatly helped. And in the story, his life and the change that it made in his life showed that he certainly received the help that he needed. People need help today, but people don't know where to find help. And I want to talk about what's going on in the world around us and really what's going on in human nature. My first point this morning, number one, is some deny that they need help. Jesus told the story of a Pharisee and a publican, and both of them are calling upon God. They're both praying. And of course, many of you know the story, how that the Pharisee, he's calling upon God, and he's basically, they're both praying side by side, and he's thinking about how superior that he is to this publican, this sinner. And he starts to pray, and he said, Lord, I thank thee that I'm not like this publican. He said, I, I pray 
uh, twice a day, I fast, I give tithes, and he starts listing all of these good things about himself. And then Jesus tells the story of the prayer of the sinner, the publican. And the publican doesn't even look up to heaven, he looks down and he smotes upon his chest and he says, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. What a difference between these two men and their approach to God. The Pharisee needed help more than the publican did, but he denied it. He didn't see it. He was deceived by himself. Jesus said that the only one that walked away from that prayer justified was the publican who said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. When you think about being justified, Romans 8.33 says, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. You know, people are very good at justifying themselves, making excuses, justifying our actions, justifying our failures, justifying our sinful behavior. We're living in a generation where people are masters at justifying anything that they want to justify. You've got men and women who live together and share all of the benefits of male and female living in the same house, and yet they are not wed in holy wedlock that the Scripture says. In fact, right here in chapter number 13... Just a verse before we started our text, it says, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. And so God makes it clear that men and women living together as a husband and wife, that they ought to be a husband and a wife. They ought to be married legally and morally, and not just in that physical sense. It's a very important thing, and yet it's justified. Well, I had, I went through a bad divorce, or I want to make sure, you know, someone wants, they get real clever, don't they? It's like, well, you wouldn't buy a car if you didn't test drive it, right? And people go, yeah, that's, and, and it's just a bunch of idiocy, to be honest with you. And I'm sure that you've heard that. And the justification for this sin or that sin, it just, it, it, people are masters at it today. But the Word of God is very, very clear. And it is God that justifieth. One of these days, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, we're all going to stand before God and we're going to give an account. And your clever way of justifying your behavior and your decisions, are they going to hold water in the eyes of an holy God? You may be able to convince your parents, your friends. You may be able to convince everyone around you, and they may go, yeah, that makes sense. I agree with you. And yet you can get everyone to agree with you, but that doesn't mean that a holy God is ever going to change his opinion to accommodate what you want. It's God that justifies. When I think about this concept of some denying that they need help, I think about a character in the Bible by the name of Simon Peter, one of the apostles. 
And if you have read about Simon Peter, then you know that Simon was a man who had quite a bit of confidence in himself. In fact, in Matthew 26, verse number 35, Peter said unto him, to Jesus, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise also said all the disciples. Notice how Peter's self-confidence was contagious. You ever noticed how that men can be, uh, can be superstars and celebrities because of their confidence? And if you spent five minutes around that person in a real life setting, you, you wouldn't want to have anything to do with them. Young people put celebrities' posters in their bedrooms. They listen to their songs. They watch them and idolize them because they can dunk a basketball or throw a touchdown pass, etc., etc. And we think, oh, they're just so wonderful. I love the way that they play that game. But 90% of them, if you spent five minutes with them, you wouldn't have any use for them because they wouldn't have any use for you. You'd find out that they're morally degenerate, they're selfish, they're full of themselves. Listen, just because someone is confident doesn't mean that you should allow you or your children to have them place influence over your life. Peter was self-confident. He needed help desperately, but he didn't recognize it. I remember years ago when my son was playing hockey, that oftentimes I would end up not really wanting to because I had a very busy ministry, but I'd end up coaching hockey because they didn't have anybody that could coach. And so um, while I didn't particularly want to do that because of my schedule, it ended up being a blessing at times and uh, have some good memories and some things about it that I certainly enjoyed. But I'll tell you one thing that I didn't enjoy is when we'd have seven, eight, nine-year-old boys on the team that first time that they'd ever played hockey and they could barely stand up on their skates and you'd try to instruct them, you'd try to tell them how to hold the stick, how to how to hit the puck and you'd try to tell them and it was so frustrating when you'd get up next to that young person and you'd start to tell them and they'd go, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. And, and, and the, the man in me, not the Christian man, but the man in me would not have very good thoughts about that boy. I would want to grab him by the face mask and say, no, you don't know. <laughs> Listen to me. But no, I didn't do that. I would try to persist and Try to explain and try to do the best you can to help that young person. But if they won't listen, ultimately, I just have to just step back and say, you know what? It stinks that they're on my team because we need help on our team, but they won't take help. So they're not going to end up being a help to anybody themselves. So they just end up dead weight. And of course, you know, their, their parents paid the fee for them to play. And so you have to give them their time out there on the ice or out there on the floor if it was roller hockey. And so you'd have to do that, but you'd just think, what a what a tragedy to all of the teammates that this young man could be a help to the team, but he won't listen 
because he thinks that he already knows it, and the fact of the matter is, he knows nothing. Back to Peter. In John 13, verse number 8, Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Once again, Peter's self-confidence is just emanating. And of course, you know, Peter, when Jesus said, if, if I don't wash your feet, then I got nothing to do with you. Of course, then Peter had to say something very profound. Of, well, then wash my head and wash everything. Peter had to say something and had to, had to do something that excelled all the other disciples. And you know, the reality of it is, and we see the big picture, we saw what Peter's life became later on. And the reality of it is, is that Peter's confidence made him valuable. He became a great leader. But while that confidence made him valuable, it also made him very vulnerable. In Luke 22, verse 31, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, Behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Why did Satan want to get Peter? Because Satan recognized that if Peter stays right with God, he's going to be a great enemy. That self-confidence and that boldness and that willingness to stick his neck out and do something for Christ to help others, that confidence is going to backfire if he gets right with God, if he stays right with God. So Satan was working overtime on Peter because that he knew that Peter was valuable, but the same thing that made him valuable also made him vulnerable. Verse 32, Jesus said, But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. When thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. I love this passage of Scripture. You're looking at a man who's failed miserably on more than one occasion. And I'm probably looking at some men and women and some boys and girls that have failed miserably on more than one occasion. We all know our failures. We all have our regrets and things that we've done and said that down deep we wish that we hadn't have said and done them. Peter was no different. And yet when Peter failed and rejected and denied the Lord, not once, not twice, but three times, I mean blatantly, right at the time when Jesus needed him the most, I mean you cannot think of a more perfect storm than Peter's denial of Jesus Christ. Peter didn't just fail a little bit, Peter failed miserably. And yet the Lord looked past Peter's sinful nature and he said, I prayed for you that your faith fail not. And when thou art converted, Jesus believed in Peter even more than Peter believed in Peter. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Jesus saw Peter who, for who he really was. Peter saw himself for what he thought that he was, but he had to go through some tough things. Peter was a rock. He just wasn't the rock. And although a rock can be a little slippery at times, I'll tell you something about Peter. He always recovered. Whenever he failed, he would always end up landing on his feet. Whenever he'd say the wrong thing, he would eventually get back on track. Matthew 14, verse number 30, 
Jesus is walking, or Peter's walking out on the water, and when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. He got his eyes off of Jesus, and he began to sink. And he cried, saying, Lord, save me. That is the characteristic of Peter. He was a man who needed help, but he had to come to the point where he recognized that he needed it, but thankfully, he always recognized it not early on, sometime at the very last chance, but he always ended up saying and doing the right thing. And he said, Lord, save me. You may be like him today. You may be in desperate need of help, but you deny it. You think that you don't need the Lord's help, but you can be like Simon Peter. And when you come to the end of yourself, when you've exhausted all of your hoarded resources as the song goes, you can be like Peter and you can say, Lord, save me. And you can reach out for the only help. Listen, ultimately, uh, folks, the ultimate help is Jesus Christ. He's the only help that can really truly help us. You can be defined by your failures or you can be refined by your failures. It all comes down to faith. Will you believe the Lord like Simon Peter did? No doubt you're aware that there are many who need help but don't recognize it. Perhaps maybe you're in that case here today. Maybe you've been there or you know somebody that is just like that. My second point here this morning is this. Many need to help themselves. Now, don't, don't, uh, ju- don't judge me too quickly, but I'm going to give you a statement, a cliche that no doubt you've all heard. And that's this. The good Lord helps those who help themselves. You've heard that before. Many people have said, well, it's like the Bible says, the good Lord helps those who help themselves. Listen, folks, I say this very tongue in cheek. It's not in the Bible. But no doubt, you've probably all heard it. And while most people use this cliche in an unscriptural way, I have to say that there is an element of truth in it. Not in every case, but an element of truth. One thing I know from the Word of God is that faith is not passive, it's not lazy, and it's not lethargic, which is what most people are today. <laughs> Have you noticed that most people need a giddy-up, not a woe Nelly? <laughs> you ever thought about that? But most people, it's like they need, a, they need a fire lit on a certain side of them rather than to, whoa, hold, you know, slow down. Don't get too excited about God. Don't do, don't get too zealous. And, you know, I can't remember the last time that as a pastor that I had to say, whoa, you need to, you need to cool your jets here just a little bit and, 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 and be patient. And it just seems like most people, uh, they're just content to just stay right there where they are. And if you're in that case, then, uh, I would say, You should pay attention. (laughs) We all need help. And sometimes 
sometimes we've got to learn that we need to initiate something. We can't help ourselves, but we can certainly initiate that help. In 2 Kings chapter 7 and verse number 3, there's four leprous men. The city is besieged and they have no food. In fact, they're so hungry inside the city that you've got two mothers that are going to the king and they're squabbling about which one of their sons that they're going to eat. And they said, we made an agreement. We're going to eat your son. We're going to boil him and eat him today and we'll boil and eat your son tomorrow. So we boiled the one mother's son and we ate him. And then the next day, the second mother hid her son. She didn't keep her word. And they're, they're crying out to the king like the king's going to say, look, you need to keep your word and boil your son. He goes, that's crazy, right? I mean, before I would, before I would kill my child, I think I would tell a lie before I would boil and eat my kid, right? You ever thought about that? I, I tell you what, if it meant boiling and eating my son, I'm going to tell you a lie. Now, I don't know if that would be right or true. I'm just telling you that's where I'd be coming from. And so the king rents his clothes and he just can't believe that he's having to deal with this kind of nonsense. Well, there's four leprous men sitting at the gate. And here's what they said. They said one to another, why sit we here until we die? You know, they had more sense and they had more faith. They had more wisdom than the entire city, including the king. They said, why just sit here till we die? If we go out there to the Syrians, look, if they kill us, well, we're going to die anyways. And if they save us alive, well, we got nothing to lose. So they went out there and they found that the entire camp was abandoned and they left all of their grub and all of their valuables and these four leprous men, I mean, they're just, they're, they're gathering up all this food and I'm sure as they're gathering it, they're munching down because they're hungry. But what happened? They recognized that, hey, instead of sitting here and dying, let's do something. And you know, we're, we're living after, after two years of COVID and this is my biggest fear. And, 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 and I'm the first to recognize that, hey, we have to make some wise decisions to protect one another. I'm all for that. But we've got to be careful that we don't start getting into bad habits of God and church and all of the things that are supposed to be the Christian life that we don't continue. I'm not saying that there isn't a time that we need to... Uh, take some drastic measures. But that doesn't mean that we have to make it our new lifestyle of just laying out a church whenever we don't feel like it, whenever something in the news causes us to be afraid. We better be careful that we don't fall into Satan's trap. We can't afford to be more lethargic and lazy than we were three years ago. Matthew 9, verse number 21, For she said within herself, this woman with an issue of blood, If I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. This woman was in a crowd. She couldn't get the Lord's attention. 
She didn't have the voice for it. She didn't have the strength. She couldn't, she couldn't say, hey, Jesus, listen to me. I mean, there's just a crowd and there's noise all around. And so she just thought to herself, when he passes by, if I could just maybe lunge between people and just reach out there and just touch his garment, then I'll be made whole. And that's exactly what happened. Jesus wasn't even aware of her. And that's what God does with our faith. When we reach out to Him for help and we genuinely mean it from the heart, I'm not talking about this testing God. Well, God, if you're real, then you help me. You know, if if that's your attitude, I got news for you. God's not going to help you. If you're trying to, if you're trying to get God to prove something to you, God's not looking for people that He can prove anything to. God's looking for people that will prove something to Him that they believe Him. And that's what this woman did. She reached out and she touched the hem of Jesus' garment and she was completely healed that very moment. But she didn't just sit back and say, well, I can't get to the Lord. She didn't make excuses. She did something to get some help. You know, some of you would be, would do yourself a huge favor if you'd quit, uh, this cycle of paralysis by analysis and just do something that you know's right, get a little bit of momentum and you'll find that that faith will start snowballing in the right direction. Faith is like a muscle. You exercise it, might be a little painful, might cause some discomfort, but you exercise it, it gets stronger. But when you just sit and do nothing, it gets weaker and it gets weaker. That's the true Christian life. And that I wonder if that's not why Jesus said, when the Son of Man returneth, will he find faith on the earth? Not a whole lot of faith today. Not a whole lot of zeal. Why? Because people will not help themselves and reach out for God's help. Number three. Most people have help, and they don't know it. In John 4, verse number 10, Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Here's a woman that's talking to the water of life, and she doesn't even know it. Jesus says, If you would have known it, I could have given you something far better than what you came here for. In 2 Kings 6, verse 17, Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. You know what's happening here is there's an army coming against Elisha and all of the men that were with him, and all they could see is the enemy. Elisha saw something that was going on in the invisible realm. God had sent His armies, these chariots of fire. They were present, but only Elisha, the man of God, saw it and recognized it. I wonder how many times that God is helping you and you just don't see it because all you can do is see through your physical eyes rather than seeing through your spiritual eyes and the truth of the Word of God. Someone told my wife recently, they said, you know what the first symptoms are of COVID? 
You know what they are, don't you? Denial. (laughs) Think about that one. And you know, it's the same thing when it comes to people who have help and they don't, they don't know it. They go into a state of denial. Now I'm not saying that when people get sick or have tragedy that they are responsible or that something could have been done. That's not always the case. I understand that. But I am saying that many times something could be done if we just would get something done. As a pastor, I've seen far too many lives and families wrecked because of people who need help. They know they need help, but they avoid, neglect, or refuse the help that they have. Those of you that have been around church for any number of years, please forgive me for this next story because I know that you've heard it many, many times. Perhaps there's some younger people and some younger Christians that have never heard it. It's a very appropriate story. It's the story about the man down in Mississippi and the great flood came and the flood came up to the doorstep and then it came up to the windows and so he continues to go to higher ground and he goes upstairs and the flood continues to rise and the next thing you know, you find he's up on the peak of his roof. And the floodwaters keep rising. Next thing you know, the floodwaters are up to his knees. And so he begins to pray, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. And along comes a boat. Motorboat comes by and says, hop in. And the guy says, no, the Lord's going to save me. Next thing you know, the water comes up to his waist. And he's saying, Lord, Lord, save me. And along comes a helicopter when they say over the loudspeaker as they drop the ladder down. Grab the, grab the ladder and we'll rescue you. And he says, no, God's going to save me. Next thing you know, the water's up to his neck. And he's saying, Lord, save me. And along comes another, another boat. And he said, hop in. We'll, we'll save you. He says, no, the Lord's going to save me. Next thing you know, he drowns. He gets to heaven and he says, Lord, I thought I prayed. I really believed in you. Why didn't you save me? The Lord said, I sent two boats and a helicopter. You would have laughed if you hadn't heard that 20 times already. Just for kicks. How many of you, boys and girls, anyone had never heard that one before? Raise your hand. God bless you. Stay in church. You'll hear it again, I promise you. I know it's a worn out story, but is that not so true that sometimes we're, we're looking, we're looking for something that we can pat ourselves on the back and that we can get glory. I prayed and God answered my prayer and most times God has offered the help that we need. Do you know sometimes we get in financial trouble and, and we say, God, please help me out of the, this financial trouble and we're expecting to get a check in the mail. And the Lord's saying, I have helped you. I gave you some principles in my word. If you'll start doing them, then it'll fix your problem. And we're like, no, 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 that's not what I was looking for. I want an easy fix. I want a miraculous fix. I don't want to have to go through the troublesome stuff. We all need to get better at allowing people to help us. 
At the same token, I think that it's important that we as believers recognize that we all need to get better at helping people. You know, you know the, 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 the man, the healthy man who doesn't necessarily, doesn't necessarily look like he's doing well financially, that stands on the street corner holding a sign that wants you to stop, roll your window down and give them money. Do you know that most of them, I almost could stick my neck out and say all of them don't need your help? And that most of you, if you stop and you give them money, you know the only person that you're helping is you because you're making yourself feel better. You're doing that for you because you're certainly not doing it for them. The best thing that you could do for them is don't give them anything because they're healthy enough to go get a job and work like everybody else does. Say, preacher, that sounds so cruel. No, I'm just speaking from experience, and I'm telling you the truth. I, I, I'm not going to judge all of them. That wouldn't be fair. But I know that most of them are plenty healthy enough that they could work like everybody else does. But they're smart enough to know I don't have to because people are suckers. And there was a day when people wouldn't be suckers, where people didn't do things to make themselves feel better emotionally, they actually cared about that person, and they'd say, look, I'll help you, I'll give you a job. And then when they said, well, you know, and, and, and I've heard this, I've tried to help people like that. And the circle of excuses as to why they can't do it, it's just amazing, and it's just the real world. But most people don't want to go through that hassle, they just want to ease their conscience, throw you know, throw some money in there. And I could tell you many, many stories that you would just be amazed at, at how fraudulent that some of those people are and how much money they make. I'm talking drawing down 40 grand and 50 grand in a year's time. So that's more than I make. Well, I guess you could do it too if you don't have any self-respect. We all need to get better at helping people And let me say this, when I say helping people, I don't mean fixing people. I used to be deceived into thinking that as a minister, that it was my job to try to fix people. And boy, it took took a lot of failures and it took a lot of lessons from the Lord to teach me that God doesn't expect me to fix anyone. You know, I, I had to recognize and remember that I couldn't even fix myself. I needed God's help. I needed God's grace. So getting better at helping people. Some people just need to know that you care. Some people just need someone that's got a listening ear. And, you know, the Bible talks about uh, supporting the weak and comforting the feeble-minded. It doesn't say anything about fixing people, correcting. You know, the Holy Spirit can do what only He can do. And when it comes to people's hearts, that's God's realm. We as children of God, we're supposed to guide people, set a good example, and support people, and let God do what only God can do. We need to get better at utilizing the help that God has already provided. I ran across this obscure passage while I was studying for this message. It's in Isaiah 30, verse number 7. It says, For the Egyptians shall help in vain... 
and to no purpose. Therefore have I cried concerning this, their strength is to sit still. Now there's certainly more in that text than what I could even elaborate on. I have to admit there's more to that text than I even know or understand. But I do know know there's some truths there that Egypt is no help. The world's no help. We don't need self-help, and we don't need all of these seven-step improvements. We need the Lord. But the Lord says, your strength is to sit still. You know, how many times have I seen people have a mess in their life, and as a last resort, they decide, I'm going to go to church. And it's almost like, you know, I've tried everything else, I'll try church. And they come, and they come to church Sunday mornings for a few months, and their problems in life aren't fixed. And they never really say it verbally anyhow, but in their heart it's like, well, I guess I'll just quit going because it's a waste of time. It didn't do me any good. And and the problem is, is they, they weren't really getting into God. They were just kind of Giving, it a, giving God a lick and a promise. Just kind of little, little surface stuff. The only change that they were interested in their life was just a few hours of their time on Sunday, but they really weren't interested in doing anything differently on Monday. I mean, once they left the doors of the church, it's like, I'm going to keep doing everything the way that I've been doing it, and they expect that that few hours at church is going to solve their problems when they don't want to change anything that they're doing in life. We want a magic wand, but God's help is usually a process. That process is sometimes a painful process. It's usually a patient process, but it's always a providential process because God knows what we really need. You know, I've had times, and I don't have time to tell all these stories, but there is one event in my life that really stands out, and that was a circumstance came in my life in which I needed to step up to the plate. And 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 I re- I recognize that God, what what needs to be done here, I I can't do it. And I remember distinctly praying to God, saying, God, I know this needs to be done. I can't handle it. I need you to broaden my shoulders. And within a week, I was so sick, I couldn't even get off the couch. And I was sick for nearly two months, in all honesty. And during that whole time, I'm thinking, that's not quite what I had in mind, Lord. It was a painful process, and it was a patient process, But I'll tell you what I recognized when I got through that, that there were a lot of weights in my life, not sins necessarily, but there were weights in my life that that one or two month break from those, it weaned me off of that habit, I guess, of doing certain things and some stuff that wasn't sinful, but maybe recreation or a hobby or this or that, that I didn't really have time to do, but I was doing it anyways because that's what I liked and that's what I enjoyed. And the Lord just kind of caused me to lose interest in those things. And when I got through it, I saw, Lord, thank you 
thank you for answering that prayer because now I'm able to do the things that I know need to be done. I'm able to do what I know you're expecting me to do, whereas before I couldn't have done those things. It was a process. Most people, they have the help that they need. They just don't know it because they're looking for something that's quick and easy and magical, but it's just really a process, folks. In conclusion, would you go to Psalm 142? Psalm 142. Now, I don't always read the, the beginning caption of these psalms, but this one's pretty important. At the beginning, before verse number 1, it says, Maskell of David. That's not the important part. The important part is this, a prayer when he was in the cave. Now, when he's in the cave, he's fleeing from Saul, his master, his king, his boss. And he did everything right by Saul. And yet Saul is throwing javelins at him. Saul's pursuing him, trying to kill him, and, you know, even though David had a submissive heart and a submissive spirit, I will say this, that when God tells us to submit to authority, he's not saying that we have to submit to the javelin. He fled. He dodged the javelin. And so he fled from Saul. He's hiding in a cave. He's had times when the 300 men that came out to be part of his band and to support him. There's times when they're talking about killing him. <laughs> they're whining about everything. This, and, you know, every leader has to go through those times. He's in the cave, bad circumstances. Here's what he says. I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make supplication. Let me, let me just call a time out right there. You know what sometimes you need to do? You need to get in that private place and you need to talk to God and you need to talk to God audibly. I know that God reads your mind and we can pray silently. I'm fully aware of that. But sometimes for your sake, you need to be praying audibly where you're actually hearing your words coming out of your lips. David said, I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before Him. I showed before Him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then Thou knowest, knewest my path. In the way wherein I walked have they privately laid a snare for me. I looked on my right hand, and behold, there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me, and oh, this breaks my heart. David says, no man cared for my soul. You may have times where you feel that way that it's not that way. I guarantee you, you probably have a lot more people that love you and care for you than you recognize when you're in the cave. The cave can make you see things that aren't the way that they are. The cave will make you feel like that nobody loves you, nobody cares about you, everyone's rejected you. 99% of the time, that's not true. But even if it were true, even if it was the actual fact about you that no man cared for your soul, that is heartbreaking and tragic words, but that doesn't mean that your situation is hopeless. No man cared for my soul, but verse number 5, I cried unto thee, O Lord, I said, 
Thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. You know, there came a time when David got out of the cave and he received a crown. He just had to go through the process and he had to give the Lord the time to help him in the Lord's way. In John 5, verse number 6, here's a, here's a lame man. He's at the, uh, at the, um, I'm sorry, I draw, draw a blank. The, um, pool of Bethesda. In my mind, I started to say fount, and it's, that got me off track. He's at the pool of Bethesda, and there's a time once a year where an angel literally comes down and stirs up the water, and the first person to go into the water is made completely whole of whatever illness or disease or problem that they have. This man, he can't walk. He's just laying there. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? If you read that story, the first thing that the man responds is he says, I have no man when the water's troubled to help me get into the pool. I have no man. He made excuses or maybe he just, I don't know, maybe he was hoping against hope. I, I don't know what was going on in the heart of this man. But I know that Jesus cared about him, and when this man couldn't go to Jesus, Jesus made it a point to come to him. And you know, at that very moment, he didn't have to wait on an angel to trouble the water. Jesus said, I can take care of this. And he touched him and he healed him. And I mean, he's walking, he's got full strength and soundness in his legs. It's an amazing miracle. But it happened at God's time, and it happened God's way. I think about how that the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, if you will, when Jesus said to him on the road of Damascus, he said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Here God is trying to help Saul. He's dealing those pricks in his heart and God working upon him and everything that God's trying to do in the heart of Saul of Tarsus, Saul is just reacting to it and he's just getting more aggressive and more hatred toward believers and he's just kicking against what God's doing. This lame man, he just makes excuses. I have no man. The apostle Peter, I mean, he just had failure after failure, denying the Lord, speaking out of turn and so on and so forth. I mean, you talk about some characters here that needed help. But as I close here this morning, Psalm 30, verse number 10, the same psalmist who wrote Psalm 142 says, Hear, O Lord, and have mercy upon me. Lord, be thou my helper. I don't know where you're at here this morning, whether you need help and you just won't receive it, or whether you think that everything's okay and you don't need help. Listen, I got news for you. We all desperately need help more than we even know it. 
we are, our sin nature is hopelessly self-sufficient. You know, that's one thing. I, I, I have no shame in being called an independent Baptist, but I will say this, in reality, I, we need to consider ourselves not independent Baptists, but dependent Baptists. Yeah, independent from all of what everybody else is doing, but certainly dependent upon the Lord and upon His Word. I don't know where you're at here this morning, but I do know this one thing, that our help is in Jesus Christ. If you need help for your soul and your sin problem, there's help in Jesus Christ. If you need help for the circumstances, maybe you're going through a time of grief, loneliness, depression, I got good news for you. There's help in the Lord. You may be going through a marital crisis or a crisis with your children, or you may have a health problem that you're dealing with. And I can't promise you that the Lord will heal you. I can't promise you that the Lord will help your relational problems, but I will and can promise you that the Lord can and will help your heart, and He can help you in your soul. He's never rejected anyone. Anyone that's come to Him in repentance and humility and in dependent childlike faith, He's never rejected anyone. Even that woman with the issue of blood reached out and touched the hem of His garments and she was made whole. If you'll just have enough faith to touch the garment of Jesus, He'll answer your prayer. He'll He'll, he'll hear your heart and He'll meet the need because the Lord is my helper. I'll not fear what man can do. It doesn't matter what you're going through. You've got help in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank You for the Word of God. Thank You for being our helper. And Lord, I certainly feel so inadequate in this message. And I hope and I pray that You will take these feeble words I pray that you'll use them in hearts and lives and help us all to get the help that we need. Help us to be helpers, but above all, help us to receive the help that comes through you. Help our faith, help our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you remain seated with your heads bowed and your eyes closed as the pianist plays? I'd like to give you an opportunity to talk to God just one-on-one here this morning one-on-one and tell the Lord what you need to tell Him. Maybe you've been trying to solve your problems, run your life yourself. You're too proud to admit that you need help. You're too proud to receive the help that the Lord has given. The Lord has provided you with brothers and sisters, with parents, with pastors, with friends, people who know God and walk with God. Don't be too proud to take advantage of those God-given resources because that's what they are. Don't expect a magic wand. Be willing to accept the process that God providentially has lined up for you. Don't take shortcuts.
Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Sure, good to see everyone here today, tonight at six o'clock in our evening service. We're going to be talking more about rightly dividing the word of truth. Also, we've got a kids lesson. I, I, I think it's a very important kids lesson. Uh, I'm going to be dealing with a topic that uh, at some point in all of you kids' life, you're going to have to deal with uh, this particular situation, and uh, I hope that you'll come back and be part of the service here this evening. Brother Jagrip, if you would, close us in a word of prayer. When he's finished praying, then you are dismissed. God bless you all.